Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for understanding. We pray for application. And that by your Holy Spirit, you'll help us to apply your word to our lives and to be more like Jesus when it's all said and done. Lord, we pray that, Lord, whatever our blind spots are, because we all have blind spots in our lives, and whatever they are, Lord, we pray that you would show them to us, Lord, so that we can make the necessary corrections and give you glory. And I also pray for the gift of teaching and the fresh filling of your spirit. I pray, Lord, that I would decrease and you increase and that you will be glorified during this study. We also pray that you keep everyone safe on this campus tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we are in 2 Samuel chapter 10. 2 Samuel chapter 10. And as usual, we have a title. And the title for this study is The Results of Misjudged Motives. The results of misjudged motives. And so in this study, we will continue, of course, to be challenged to overcome the struggles we have on our way to reaching our full potential in Christ. And we do know, hopefully you know, that, that some studies are more encouraging, some are more convicting, some correct us and and some of us pose a challenge, and, and this is one of those that, of course, challenges us to overcome certain struggles in our lives. But, but also, um, there's something in here that, that we may see that if we're doing, we need to stop doing. So there, there's some corrective words as well, some correction. And so we want to be open to whatever the Holy Spirit has for us. And the good thing about the Lord is, if he tells us to do something, he always enables us to do it. And so that's the good thing about the God of the Bible. And so we want to look at verse 1 in 2 Samuel chapter 10. It says, It happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanan, his son, reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. And so David sent by the hand of his servants or his messengers to comfort Hanan concerning his father, the previous king of Ammon, Nahash. And David's servants, his ambassadors, they came into the land of the people of Ammon. And so the Ammonites and the Israelites have a long history. You know, the Ammonite name may sound familiar to many of you who are reading in the Old Testament. And many of you know that these Ammonites were not hospitable to the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. In fact, the Lord had something to say against them because they did not meet the children of Israel with with bread and 
water, so to speak. They were not, once again, hospitable to them. But then during the time of the judges, the Lord had sold them into the hands of both the Philistines and he sold the Israelites into the hand of the Ammonites. All because of the Israelites' sin. They were worshiping idol gods. And so the Lord used the Philistines and the Ammonites at one point as his tool or weapon of judgment or chastisement against his chosen people. And so there's this long history between the Ammonites and the Israelites. The scriptures also tell us in in the book of Judges that for 18 years, the Ammonites oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. And then, of course, during the time of Saul and 1 Samuel, these same Ammonites tried to bully the Israelites who were in Jabesh Gilead. But Saul, of course, would lead the Israelites into victory against the Ammonites. And so you see this long history. But apparently, as we see in the first two verses, there was a time that Nahash, the king of Ammon, was kind to David. And and maybe he was kind to David during the time David was in exile, while he was running away from King Saul, who saw David as a threat, who saw David as his enemy. So maybe it was during that time that Nahash was good to David. And David, of course, as we see in these verses, he did not forget how good he was to him. He did not forget how loyal or kind Nahash was to him. And therefore, after Nahash died, we see that David had it in his heart to show kindness to Hanan, who was the new king of Ammon at this point. And so King David will go on to send a letter with some of his servants or ambassadors in order to comfort this new king, Hanan. And I wonder tonight if we are the type of people who would keep that momentum of kindness going. See, David is keeping that momentum going. Someone was kind to him. Nahash, the former king who's now dead, was kind to him. And David now, as some people will say, is is paying it forward or he's keeping that momentum going, that momentum of kindness. But are we the type of people as believers today who are keeping that momentum of kindness going? Well, I know the Lord has been kind to you, and we covered that in the previous study. The the Lord has been kind to all of us, but are we keeping that kindness going? Or maybe the Lord has used someone else, another human, to show his kindness to you. Are you keeping that momentum going, or do we stop that momentum of kindness when no one is looking? You see, Nahash is dead at this point. He's You know, he's not in front of David's face, but yet and still David is keeping that kindness going. So do we stop the momentum when no one else is looking? Do we stop the momentum of kindness after we have what we want? After we've been blessed? You know, that's something to think about. In verse 3, it says, And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan, their Lord, Do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? 
Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? Therefore, Hanan, this new king, he, he took David's servants, he took his ambassadors, he shaved off half their beards and cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks. Or he cut it in half at the hips and he sent them away. And when they told David, David sent messengers to meet those ambassadors because those men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, speaking of David, he said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and and then return. And so with Hanan, this king of Ammon did to those Israelite men, of course, was humiliating. And his actions were meant to shame them. And indeed, those men were ashamed. Because in that culture, at that time, the beard represented their manhood. And in some places in the Middle East, it was a sign of their freedom. Because in that culture at that time, in some places in the Middle East, a shaved face was, was a mark of a slave. And so not only was, were they ashamed because half of their manhood, so to speak, symbolically was, was shaved off. And not only did they look almost like a, a slave, but then their backsides were exposed because he cut off their clothes at the hips. And so, and so their backsides were, they were just out in the open. And, and that was just as or even more humiliating than the beard or half the beard being shaved off. But, but I like how King David responded. He, he responded to his guys, to his ambassadors with compassion. He, he was compassionate towards them in his response. And when he said to, to wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then you can, you can come back. I, I know you're a little embarrassed. I know you are ashamed because half of your beard has been shaved off. This man had... He's humiliated you. He accomplishes purpose in shaming you. And I know you don't want to be seen in public like that. So go ahead and stay. It'll grow back when it does. Then then come back. So the enemy. our, Our spiritual enemy and even some people in this world will love to do the same thing to you and to me. They would love to shame us because of some indiscretion, because of some sin of our past, which we've, of course, been forgiven of. Some people have even tried to do so, not just want to shame us, but have even actually tried to do it. Put a post on the Internet, on social media to shame you, send out a text or whatever, a mass text whatever the case may be, to try to shame you. But, but praise God, we have a compassionate king. We have a compassionate king in Jesus who has made a way for our shame to be dealt with. Because King David, he had his way of dealing with these guys' shame. 
Say, stay there, let your beard grow. But Jesus, of course, our king, he dealt with our shame in a different way. He dealt with our shame with his blood. And our shame, of course, our, our guilt is associated with our sin. We don't want to think about some of the things we've done. It's shameful. We don't want to repeat some of the things we've done. It, it is shameful, but it's been dealt with on the cross. The handwriting that was against us, everything we owed has been paid in full. It's, it's not just covered. You see, that's what the blood of the bull and the goats did under the Old Testament economy, under the, uh, under the old covenant. The blood of animals, it just covered the sins. They were IOUs, but, but Jesus, he paid those IOUs with his blood. No more sacrifices is necessary, and, and he doesn't need to sacrifice himself on a yearly basis like the children of Israel had to do on the Day of Atonement. No, it was a once and for all sacrifice. Our sins have been washed away. Our, our shame has been dealt with. This is how our king has dealt with our shame. And not only that, we have been clothed. Well, some of us had, were walking around naked and exposed in our sin. But, but we have been clothed with the robe of righteousness. The robe of righteousness that only comes by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so we are not as believers naked, spiritually naked in shame. No matter how the enemy wants to ridicule us, bring up our past. We are clothed in the robe of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed into our spiritual account as if we are the ones who are righteous. That, that's what happens when we uh, come into a relationship with Jesus. The, the father looks at us through the lens of Christ. And we are washed, we are clean, we are holy in position, we are righteous in position as if we've never sinned. That is called, of course, justification. And so we need not worry about the accusations from the enemy who is called the accuser of the brethren. But unfortunately, there are some who do not know there's some people in this world who do not know that they are naked spiritually. They're naked in their sin. And if this is you, I, I would encourage you to listen to what Jesus said to the church of the Laodiceans in the book of Revelation. Now, as we look at Revelation 3.18, I have to share a, a quick backstory of the city of Laodicea. And that's because the city of Laodicea, they had great wealth, which came from banking and also from its production of a fine quality of world famous black wool that was used to make garments. So, so that city became rich off of this black wool that made garments. And so I like how Jesus kind of piggybacks 
off of that in Revelation 3.18 and speaking to the church in the city of Laodicea, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Or you made your money from banking, from this black wool, these garments made from black wools. But, but, but I counsel you to buy from me, and that's, of course, through faith, gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. You think you're rich, but you're really not. True riches, spiritual riches can be found in Christ. And, and, and here's the line I want you to focus on. He says, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyes soft that you may see. So there, if there's anyone who has not put their trust in Jesus, you don't know where you're going if you were to die today. If you never repented, then, then yes, you are naked. You may not realize it, but the word of God says that you're naked, spiritually naked. But you're invited, you are counseled by him to purchase these white garments through faith that you may be clothed. And that's the, that's the white garments of, of righteousness, Christ's righteousness being imputed into your spiritual account. And in verse 6, it says, When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, the people of Ammon sent, and they hired the Syrians or Arameans of Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Maacah, 1,000 men, and from Ishtob, 12,000 men. And so anytime, by the way, I say Syrians, um, or Arameans, I'm, I'm using those, those terms interchangeably. But according to 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 19, verse 6, uh, it tells us um, how much money uh, the people of Ammon spent to hire uh, these extra men to, to fight against David. It says in 1 Chronicles 19, 6, that they spent 1,000 talents of silver to, to hire these soldiers. But in verse 7, it says, now, when David heard of it, when he heard that the people of Ammon had hired some extra soldiers from, uh, of the Arameans, and, you know, of Beth Rehob and the Arameans of Zobah and, you know, from, you know, the king of Maacah and from Ishtob, when he heard of that, he sent Joab, his commander and the army of the fighting men and says, then the people of Ammon came out and they put themselves in battle array. So in other words, they lined up for battle at the entrance of the city gate. And the Syrians or these Arameans of Zobah, Beth Rehob, Ishtob, and Maacah, they were by themselves in the field. And so when Joab saw that the battle line was against him in front and in back, then he chose some of Israel's best and he put them in battle array or formation against the Syrians, these Arameans. And the rest of the people in verse 10, he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. Then he said, this is Joab speaking. He said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, so I'm going to fight against them. If they're too strong for me and the guys that I'm leading, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong 
for you because Abishai is going to fight against them in this huge battle. If they're too strong for you, then I will come and help you. And so Joab, the commander of Israel's army, he put a plan in place for him and his brother Abishai to help each other in battle based on who was having a harder time. If you're having a hard time, I'm going to come help you. Me and my guys, my guys and I, we're coming to help you. And vice versa, you come and help us if we're having a hard time with the Syrians or these Aramaeans. And this, this brings out a point for us as believers. Because we can definitely take something from this. Because as believers, of course, we are living individual lives. And, and we're having these individual or personal battles. But don't forget, in the midst of that, to help your brothers and sisters in Christ and their battles. Don't forget, in the midst of your warfare, your personal battle, to be available to help other believers out in their struggles. Because we have common enemies. And our common enemies, of course, is first and foremost, Satan and, and his demonic army, those fallen angels. And, and of course, there's the world that's against us. And this world system, of course, is, is overseen by demons and, and by Satan. Then, of course, we have our flesh, our sin nature that's a common enemy. And, and so keeping that in mind that we have a common enemy or common enemies, we should be available to help each other in the midst of our personal struggles and, and warfare. We need to let each other know that, that, hey, you are not in this by yourself. Yes, you have the Lord, but, but we are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I am here for you to, to encourage you to, to keep pressing on, to encourage you to stick to the word of God, to, to share a timely word with you so that when that temptation comes, you will have a timely word to share, a timely word you can use to combat that temptation, just like Jesus did when he was tempted. Oh, he had a timely word. He used the sword of the spirit. He had a word from the Bible, and it was a timely word from the scriptures that Jesus used to fight against every temptation the enemy brought against him. And the Lord could use us in that same manner. He can share those words with us as well, or he, he, he can deposit that word in us, in our hearts and in our mouths to share that with another brother or sister who are going through it. And so just like Joab and Abishai did, they were, they were ready to help each other out. We need to be that same way. There's a principle I wanted to share or remind you of. Because I believe that when we as, Christ, as Christians do things or get better individually, I believe that that helps the body of Christ as a whole. So when we improve spiritually, when we grow spiritually, when we start walking in our calling, when we start using the spiritual gifts that God wants us to, do, to use as individuals, when we start becoming all that God wants us to be, reaching our full potential in Christ as individuals, then, then like I said, that, that is a, that's going to be a blessing to the body of Christ as a whole. 
Because we're members, the scriptures tell us, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 12. We're members of one another. We are a body. In verse 12, Joab says, be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So, yes, we all have challenges in this life. And I want to pause right there because I have a scripture about these challenges we have in life. In Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22, it says, And when they, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel to that city, speaking of Derby, and they made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, and this is what I want to focus on, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So, so this is what Paul and Barnabas shared with the churches that were established at that time. They reminded them, one of the things they reminded them of that, that hey, in this life, we're going to face many tribulations. And through those many tribulations, we're going to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus even shared something like this. So he, he, he said that in this world, we're going to have tribulation. But the tribulation that Jesus speaks of is not coming from God the Father. Because that tribulation that comes from God the Father, that, that, that comes from the Lamb being poured on this earth, that tribulation is still future, that seven-year period. That, that's not for believers, but the tribulation that Jesus is speaking of is it comes from the world. It comes from the enemy. And Jesus says, yes, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But I like what Jesus said. He said, in me, you'll have peace. That, that's what Jesus promised. And, and you see here that Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14 is, is telling the saints that, hey, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So if you're going through tribulations, okay, that's something Jesus told us about. And I'm sharing with you what Paul and Barnabas, these men of God, has shared with the church back in the first century. So we know that. So, yes, we established that fact. We established that truth that we all have challenges in this life. But during these tribulations, as we move past that point, we want to build on that point, though. So during these tribulations... What do we do? We do our best. You know, just like we we see here with Joab and Abishai and and these this army that they're leading, they're they're doing their best. And they say, hey, be of good courage. You make that decision. Be of good courage and and be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. So in the midst of our tribulations, in the midst of our troubles, in the midst, in other words, of being pressed, being pressured by life, being pressured from the enemy, being pressured by the world. In the midst of all of that, we do our best. We face it with courage and, and we face it with strength. We make the decision to do those things. So, yes, we do our best during those times. Trying to be as courageous and as strong as possible. But then there's a. A third point that I want to add to this and build upon these previous points. 
And that's, of course, in the last sentence or the last clause of verse 12. He says, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So, yes, let's build on this. During tribulations, do your best to be courageous and strong. But at the same time, as it says at the end of verse 12, keep in mind as you do all of that, as you do your best, keep in mind that God will always do what is good in his sight. Keep that in mind that that he's going to accomplish whatever his will is. And, And this is what I call his absolute will. You have God's permissive will. Of course, God and his permissive will, he doesn't always agree with your decisions. You can be in God's permissive will and do something God doesn't want you to do, but God allows it. It's a permissive will, not that he approves of it, but he's giving you free will to make your decision. And then there's his perfect will. That is what God prefers. And God's perfect will is, for example, for, for all people to repent and receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. That's his perfect will. But will everybody follow his perfect will? No, because we have free will. But then there is his, what I would call, absolute will. And his absolute will is what he's going to do regardless. Whether you decide to go along with this plan or not, his absolute will is going to be accomplished. And so in the midst of our tribulation, be of good courage, do our best to be strong. But remember that the Lord is going to do what is good in his sight. Remember that his absolute will is going to be accomplished. And and knowing that, that he's going to do whatever is good in his sight, knowing that should encourage us to trust him. That Lord, it doesn't feel good. I, I don't know where this is going. I don't like where I think this is going, Lord, but I'm going to trust you because I know that you're going to do what is good in your sight. You're not going to do good with, as far as what's good in my sight or what, what, what's good in my neighbor's sight, what's good in the world's sight. You're going to do good, what is good in your sight. And so he never makes mistakes. And so once again, it should encourage us to trust him. Verse 13, so Joab and the people who were with him, they drew near for the battle against the Arameans or Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city or their city, which is uh, probably Rabbah. And so Joab returned from the people of Ammon, and he went to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered together. They they weren't content and giving up. They wanted some revenge. And then it says in verse 16, Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond or east of the Euphrates River. And they came to Helam, which is located east of the Jordan River. And Shobach, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before them. And so now David's about to get involved. And so when it was told David in verse 17, he, he gathered all Israel. He crossed over the Jordan and he came to Helam. 
and the Syrians. They set themselves in battle formation against David and fought with him. Then the Syrians, they fled before Israel and David killed 700 charioteers and and 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians. And he struck Shobach, the commander of their army who died there, that is at Helam. And verse 19, and when all the kings who were servants to Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and they served them. And so these Arameans, these Syrians, they were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. They said, this is not working out for us. We're done. And so this is just a good reminder for us that, hey, before you start uh, choosing sides and and fighting for the side you think is right, you, you need to make sure that you are indeed on the right side. Because they were man's, these Syrians, they found out the hard way. They took two, two losses close to each other. So they come to know that, hey, we were on the wrong side. We're not, we're not helping these people of Ammon anymore. So, so you need to make sure that you're, you're fighting the right battles, that you're fighting on the right side. And the only right side, of course, is God's side. And so if you're going to support anyone support people who are aligned with God's side and don't learn the hard way like the Syrians had to in in today's study and so we saw in this lesson and in in this chapter chapter 10 how these rulers or these princes of the people of Ammon had actually instigated all of these events we saw in 2nd Samuel 10 They they instigated it by giving a judgment statement about David's intentions when he sent his messengers or his ambassadors in an attempt to show kindness and comfort to Hanan, the son of Nahash. Guy's father died. He he just wants to show kindness. He wants to comfort him. But no, you had these people who gave this judgment statement about David. In other words, these guys had actually judged King David's motives. They judged what they thought was in his heart. They thought they knew the reason, the motives that that David had sent ambassadors there. Because remember in verse 3, they said, to Hanan, this new king, they said, do you think that David really honors your father because he sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? How did they know that? How do they know his motives? How do they know what was in David's heart? They were judging, once again, his motives. And to be clear, it is appropriate to judge in certain situations. For example, it's, it's appropriate to judge whether or not an action, speech, or lifestyle is right or wrong based on what? Based on you? No, based on the word of God. God sets the standard. We come in alignment with his standard. We use his holy standard 
to judge or discern whether or not an action, speech, or lifestyle is right or wrong in God's eyes. Now, not my eyes, not our eyes. And then, of course, we use that information to come to a conclusion or to make a correct identification. This is appropriate judgment. And Jesus, of course, gave an example of appropriate judgment. In that very same chapter that, that people like to use, judge not lest you be judged. That's the world's favorite scripture, but don't know the context. Because if they keep reading in that very chapter, he says not to cast your pearls before swine. How do you know if you're casting your pearls before swine if you don't use judgment? If you're witnessing to somebody using the pearls, the word of God, which is something valuable, and they're not being receptive, they're ridiculing you. You're sharing the gospel with them. You're being patient. You're being loving. You're listening to them when they speak. You're even answering Bible questions that they have, even though they may not be serious about, you know, them getting the answer. You're doing all of, all of that in the spirit, in the attitude of meekness, the attitude of Christ. And this person still cursing at you and they're ignoring you and doing all this. At that point, use some judgment, use discernment. Okay, there's other people who are more ripe and ready for the gospel right here where I'm at speaking to this person who's not being receptive. They're cursing me out They're They're, they're telling all kind of nasty jokes, even though I'm tra- trying to share the, the word of God with them. Okay, at that point, I'm going to make a uh, judgment. I'm going to discern right now. Okay, this is an example of casting my pearls before swine. And so in that very chapter, Jesus pretty much tells us that, yes, we're going to have to use some type of judgment to identify that. But, but we are also in that very same chapter to use some type of judgment to examine a person's fruit to determine whether or not they're a false prophet. Jesus talks about that. Matthew 7 verses 15 through 20. How are you going to determine if somebody's a false prophet? Well, you have to use some type of judgment based on what? Based on evidence, based on fruit. What are they saying? What are they doing? What, what, what's their lifestyle? Are they purposely twisting scriptures for their own game? Are they fleecing the flock? Are they taking advantage of the church? Are they wolves in, in sheep clothing? Do they look innocent? But they're there to devour the church. Oh yes, we have to use some type of judgment. If they keep reading in that very same chapter, Matthew 7, but also we need to use some type of judgment when it comes to 1 Corinthians 5.11 because it says, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. With, with, don't keep company with somebody who claims to be a Christian who is sexually immoral. They're having sex outside of marriage. They're committing adultery. They're living a homosexual lifestyle or whatever the case may be. If they call themselves a Christian, they're living a sexually immoral lifestyle. He says not to keep company with them if they claim to be a Christian or if they're covetous. Again, this is 1 Corinthians 5.11. Or if they're an idolater or if they're a reviler. That's someone who's verbally abusive or somebody who's abusive. If they're like that, if if that's the pattern of their life, if they're a drunkard or an extortioner, they they like to cheat people. 
I've written to you not even to keep company with them. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 5.11, not even to eat with such a person. This is somebody who claims to be a Christian but living those type of lifestyles. You have to use some type of judgment. And so, no, not all judgment is bad. But there's, there's a certain attitude when it comes to judging because we're to judge in the following manner. We're to judge, Jesus tells us in John 7, 24, we're to judge with righteous judgment. Righteous judgment as opposed to what? As opposed to judging based on appearances. You know, I'm very careful when I come out of a store at a gas station. And there's a gas station right down the street from here. And, and there's been times I go in there and I get a little soda or whatever when I used to drink soda. And... Um, you know, they would give these paper bags and they put the drink in the paper bag. And so when I walk out, I make sure I take the bottle out. So people, if somebody from the church drives by, they see that it's soda or juice. But the Bible tells us to judge righteous judgment as opposed to judging based on appearances. But also we're to judge with Humility. We're to judge with grace. We're to judge with mercy. Pastor Jim, he touched on this this past Sunday. In fact, we're to judge, just to keep it simple, we're to judge in a manner in which we would not mind being judged. We should judge when we use judgment in a manner in which we would not mind being judged. So if you want to be judged in a merciful way, then judge that way. If you have to make some type of judgment. However, we are not to judge. The scriptures tell us in in Matthew chapter 7, as I mentioned earlier, we are not to judge hypocritically. And a person could judge hypocritically if, if they see a little speck, They see a little splinter in somebody else's eye as as Jesus uses that illustration, but they got a big beam or a big two by four in theirs. They're saying, hey, I see your little sin, but I'm not dealing with mine. That's judging hypocritically. So we're not to judge hypocritically. If we're going to point out a sin in someone else's life, we, we need to deal with that same sin in our lives before we call ourselves helping someone else. We are also not to judge harshly. We are not to judge with the heart of pride as some of the Pharisees were doing. But then get this, as we make our way back to what these so-called princes or rulers were doing in the lesson or what they did in this lesson, we are not to judge another person's motives. And and I'm just wondering how, how, don't raise your hand, how many of you have experienced Someone judging your motives, someone who trying to tell you what was in your heart when you did something or when you said something. Many of you have experienced that, I could imagine. Or how many of you being on the other end have judged someone based on inner motives that you thought they had? But they weren't even thinking that way. And you found out later and you felt bad for it. See, as with everything else, 
judging the motives of another person has results or consequences. And, and one of the results or consequences of judging the motives of another person is that that same standard will be used against you. I'm going to include myself. That same standard will be used against us. And so if you want to use a standard of mercy or grace, that standard is going to be used against you. If you want to use a standard of harshness, that same standard will be used against you. In Matthew 7, 2, it says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so no wonder says, judge not lest you be judged. You judge in a critical way. You judge in a harsh way. Be ready for that same standard to be used against you. But another consequence here or result of trying to judge someone's motive is that we will make unnecessary enemies. And so now we take this point from tonight's study in verse six, they made unnecessary enemies. David came as a friend and all of a sudden he was, he became their enemy because of them starting it by judging his motives. And this could happen to us as well. Then, of course, there's something else that can happen. We, we can miss out on what could have been a blessing from the Lord. And yes, the Lord uses other people to be a blessing to us. He uses people in the church, for example, as conduits of his blessing or channels of his blessings for them to continue to bless others. But if we're judging someone's motive, oh, oh, why are they here? Why are they knocking on my door? Why are they bringing this food over? They must, they must want something from me in the future. Why, why did they buy this for me? They, they must want something from me. Judging the person's motive. And so you miss out on what could have been a blessing from the Lord. So David came to give comfort. He, he came to be a blessing to, to Hanan. He came to bring him a good word. He came to give him support during a difficult time because his father, Nahash, had died. He could have been someone that Hanan could have had a great relationship with. And so this could happen to some of us. We can miss out on what could have been a blessing. We could miss out on a good word from somebody. We could miss out on support during a difficult time in our lives. We could miss out on a potential godly relationship all because we are judging someone's motives. But then, of course, as we see in the message and, or in the study in 2 Samuel 10, other people can get infected and affected. They can get infected and affected. We saw that this new king was infected. He was infected with their judgment, with these princes' judgment. And then, of course, others got affected by this because we see in verses 18 and 19 how many people died, all going back to trying to judge someone's motives and making an enemy off from someone who wanted to just be a friend. Oh, and some of us can get infected and affected as well, especially when that false judgment is shared with others. 
Now you got people choosing sides and, and it's bad because sometimes some folks get the kids involved in choosing sides because of judging or trying to judge someone else's motives and they even end up entering someone else's fight based on falsehoods. Some folks get hurt physically, sometimes emotionally. And so there's some results. There's some consequences to this. But overall, judging someone's motives will lead to us making poor decisions like this king did, like Hanan did in 2 Samuel 10. But we don't want to end on a bad note. Because there is a way to correct this if this is something you've been struggling with, judging someone else's motives. And we've all done it. We've all done it. But we can correct it. And and one way to correct it comes by way of remembrance. And that's remembering that only God truly knows a person's heart. So get off of God's throne. Let God be God. Let him deal with the heart issues. He, he knows what's in a person's heart. He knows what's in their motives. Or he knows what is their motive. But then we can correct this issue of trying to judge another's motives. We, we can correct it by growing in love. The first Corinthians 13 Verse 7, and then we can read that, and, and just to let you know, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through, of course, or who gave the inspired word to the Apostle Paul, and he's showing us what love looks like, and we can read the whole list, but I just wanted to share this here in 1 Corinthians thirteen seven. It says, love bears or covers all things. Another way to say this, and one translation says this, is that love always protects. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so if we grow in love, we won't always think the worst of people. In other words, you can look at that little phrase there, believes all things. And believes all things there it just means that I think the idea there is just we, we don't think the worst of people. We, we try to think the best of people as much as possible. And, and if we were to grow in love, and this is agape love, love that can only come from God. If we grow in love, we would th- begin to think the best of people. And so that's how I say, that's why I say that, that, that we can correct this issue of trying to judge someone's Motives by growing in love. Because of this list here in 1 Corinthians 13. Love believes the best about a person. You know, you see that one family member. Here they are. They just coming to eat and leave. Here they come. They're coming to beg or they coming to do this or that. And the person could be coming to let you know that they finally received Christ. As the worship team takes the stage, I want to share this with you, that, that, that we can grow in love by drawing closer to Jesus. 
sound so simple, but God made it simple. So we can grow in love by drawing closer to Jesus and by allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in producing the fruit of love in us. So that's not, that's not something we can produce on our own, not the agape love, not, not that, Christ-like, that, that Christ-like love, that unconditional love, that unselfish love that, that comes from God. The agape love comes from God. And so if we get closer to Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of love in us, we can grow in this area. We can grow in this area and we can, and I can fix that issue that maybe some of us have have, are having of believing the worst in people. Father God, we, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your grace. Help us to be more gracious and merciful. Help us when we judge, Lord, to judge with righteous judgment, having all the evidence seeing the fruit. But when, we, but when we judge, Lord, we, like I said, Lord, we, we just want to do it with the heart of grace. We don't want to be self-righteous. We don't ha- want to have hearts full of pride. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to look down on others. Lord, we have a sin nature as well. And so we can fall into the same trap someone else fell in. If our guard is down. So all of us, we need you, Lord. Lord, we need you before salvation. We need you after salvation. And we'll need you for eternity. So, Lord, I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters tonight. Or if they're struggling with anything that that has been shared in the message, I pray that you help them to overcome it. Or if they've been victims of having their motives judged by others. And it happens regularly and they're hurt by that. Lord, I pray that you would remove that hurt, that you would set them free from that hurt, from that pain. Lord, we just like to dedicate the rest of this night to you. May you give us traveling grace on the way home. Bless our week. Use us this week for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.